Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. Good morning. I want to invite you to take your Bible. Go with me to Luke chapter 2 is where we'll be today. Uh, and, and we are uh, diving into Luke chapter 2 today. Um, but I want to be honest with you. Not that I'm ever dishonest with you. Uh, but I want to be honest with you. Uh, I, this is a hard message to preach today. I've really struggled thinking about preaching this passage. And if you've been with us, you've been part of the First West family, you know, the last couple of months, we've preached some hard sermons, like on some hard, like text in the Bible. Um, never once have I wanted or desired to just take a pass on a sermon. Um, but honestly, uh, I'd love to have a pass today. I'd love to just invite Brad up and just say, let's just keep singing today. Um, and the reason is, is, is the topic and the reality of what's happening, uh, what has happened in our community this week. If you've been with us, you know we've been in this series of Advent, uh, the series called Something Greater and seeing how Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the exclamation point of the story of redemption that God is writing and seeing how Jesus fulfills these significant moments in the Old Testament. And we've we focused in on these words every week to help focus our hearts on on uh, this season. And so we've talked about hope and we've talked about love. And today, as you saw in the video, our word and our topic today is joy. And we understand that joy is, um, joy is defined as a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. And if you have sensed the pulse of our community this week, and, and um, for some of us, maybe many of us, the pulse of just our personal lives this week, uh, it has felt anything but joyful. In fact, it's felt many ways to fill the void, felt like a void of joy in our community. Whether that was the loss of a, of a young man who um, just astounded what unfolded. Whether that is, gosh, another round of tornadoes. <laughs> Seems like every year it's like hurricane, tornado, hurricane, tropical storm, tornado, right? And not just people's homes being destroyed, but their lives being turned upside down. Seeing in a national level of celebrities or a celebrity that many people would just attribute to being a person that was just full of happiness and such a positive person that would take their life this week. And even that happening in our community, seeing people take their life this week, walking with a family this week who got bad news with a cancer diagnosis. And, and it just feels anything but joyful in the attempt to get up here and to preach on joy. In many ways, I'm just being forthright with you. It just feels, it just feels shallow in some ways, right? Because of what we've experienced. How do we talk about joy in the midst of incredible sorrow and brokenness? And in some ways, I think, man, I've never needed a message on joy more than right now. Like, I, I need the Spirit of God to speak to my heart today about joy and walking in joy in this life and in this season. 
just this week in a conversation with someone who's walking through that unimaginable grief, the brokenness of life. They said to me through the tears standing there in a hospital, they said, you know, I woke up this morning and God gave me three words. Love, hope, and joy. And it's just amazing to see someone and walking through the biggest nightmare of their life saying that God has given me the word joy for this season. And maybe you're here today and that makes absolutely no sense to you. You say, how, how could that be that you could be a person that could have joy in the darkest of nights? And let me tell you, and it's going to become crystal clear as we navigate God's word today, it is only because of Jesus. That just as hope is that anchor to our soul because of who Christ is and what Christ has done, he provides a joy that can be multiplied, a joy that can be solidified even when we walk through the chaos of life. Let me ask you today, before we even dive in, do you have that type of joy in your life? Is there that thing in your life that sustains you, that carries you when we walk through incredible brokenness? And if not, I'm going to show you today that Jesus and only Jesus can provide that type of deep-rooted joy. As we look today in the Word, we're going to see that joy found in Jesus is matchless. It's absolutely matchless. It can be found nowhere else. And as we go into the Christmas story, we find that it is an occasion for great joy. Right? One of the familiar moments of the Christmas story is that of the shepherds. It tells us that they were, uh, they were in their fields watching their flocks by night. And in a moment, it says that an angel of the Lord appeared. And not just an angel of the Lord appeared. It says that the glory of the Lord shone around him and that the shepherds were terrified. You think? And we see the angel of the Lord proclaim to these shepherds what was happening. It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, the angel said to them, don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. I want you to catch that, that in this moment of proclamation from this angel to the lowest of the low of society, it's not just that I've got some good news for you, but it is good news of great joy. We continue to follow this story of God wrapping himself in flesh and stepping out of heaven to walk among his creation, coming in the form of a child. Several years later, we see from the book of Matthew, chapter 2, in verse 10, we see these men who had come from afar, these astrologers, these wise men, and they had followed this star. They had come to Jerusalem, the place where you would come expecting to find a newborn king. They come in contact with King Herod, who becomes deeply disturbed at this news that there was a new king in town. And plotted in the evilness of his heart to leverage the wise men to help discover this so-called king and to snuff him out. We see that the wise men, they leave King Herod. And as they they do, it tells us that they find the place and they see the star again. And in Matthew chapter 2 verse 10, it says, when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. So this story of Christmas is one that is wrapped up in joy of what was unfolding. And we believe that in the midst of whatever's going on in life, when we come to this season, it can be a season of joy. 
Even for some of you that you're walking into this Christmas season for the very first time and there's going to be an empty seat in the living room as you open gifts. There may be sadness. There does not have to be the absence of joy. We see it in the Christmas story and we understand it at an even deeper level when we understand how the Christmas story is just a chapter in God's unfolding story of redemption. And it is in realizing that unfolding story of redemption, as I said, that joy can be multiplied even in our pain. That joy can be solidified even in the chaos of our lives. You know, when we hear of a baby being born, it, that's good news to hear, right? It's good news when we see a child that comes into the world. But it's a whole other thing when you hear of the birth of a child of a family who struggled with fertility for years. Or you talk to a couple who had to walk through the grief of a miscarriage. And later down the road, they, they have a child. And, and yes, it's good news because a baby's coming to the world. But when you see the full picture, when you know the story of what's happened in that couple's life, it's like that joy is multiplied because you see the entirety of what's unfolded. And just as in watching a, your favorite TV show, you watch an episode and it's good. But when you understand what's happened season after season after season, what happens in that episode, it makes all the more sense. And it allows you to appreciate it even more. And so in our desire to anticipate Christ's arrival in this season, and we've considered these words, and we think about joy, and I tell you today that the Christmas story is one of joy. But listen, it is joy multiplied when we understand the unfolding story of redemption. We've desired to do that in this series as we've looked at the significant mile markers in the Old Testament and how Jesus truly is something greater. He was greater than the Edemic covenant as Jesus being the better Adam. That it tells us in Romans that through one man, speaking of Adam, many were made sinners because of his disobedience. But because of one man, many were made righteous, speaking of Jesus and his finished work on the cross. We spoke of the Noahic covenant. That in that promise that God had made to his people, that no longer would there be an earthly judgment that would take place through a worldwide flood. And we celebrate that that's the case today, but we see that Jesus is even greater and that his coming would provide salvation, just as Noah would have salvation from the flood in an ark, that you and I, that we can have salvation from our sin and the work of Christ. Last week, we talked about the Abrahamic covenant, understanding that God had made this special relationship. He had chosen his people in love, and through them, they would be a blessing to the nations. And we saw that they blessed the nations by living unique lives and how they followed the Lord. But we see that ultimately, that it is the offspring of Abraham in Jesus that the nations are truly blessed. And so today, as we see this unfolding story so that we can appreciate even more this episode, if you will, of the Christmas story, we turn to the Mosaic Covenant. Go with me to Exodus chapter 19 today. And I want you to see how, again, Jesus is truly going to be something greater. And in recognizing that, and he being the true fulfillment of what God laid out in Exodus chapter 19, and really through a significant portion of Moses' writings here, I believe that our joy can be multiplied, and our joy can be solidified, and that even in great brokenness and sorrow, we can still have joy. Exodus chapter 19, 
verse 3 through 6. It says, Moses went up on the mountain to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will listen carefully to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that I say, that you were to say to the Israelites. What I want you to see here today is to recognize that if the joy found in Jesus is truly matchless, it begins in what God was doing and the joy that is found in a promise made. The joy that is found in a promise made. In this passage, in Exodus 19, we see that Moses goes up to the mountain there and he meets with God. And in that place, God lays out before him this covenant, this commitment, this promise between himself and the Israelites once again. Remember, in the Abrahamic covenant, he had said, listen, you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. And here, once again, he is making this promise to them. And this covenant that he's going to make through Moses, hear this, this is important, it provided clarity to the people on how they were to live in such a way, number one, to please God. This is how you're to live, to bring pleasure to the God that has chosen you. But secondly, it allowed them to understand, to give clarity that how they were to live in such a way that would be good for themselves. So in this covenant, he would say, listen, when you obey me, it will be a blessing to you. And when you disobey me, it will not be a blessing. And so there is joy to be found, I think, in this moment because we see, not only is God saying, I'm choosing you to be my, my, my people, but we see here God's commitment to them. God's desire to continue to walk with them day by day to guide them through this journey of what it means to follow God. We see that in this covenant, this is a unique covenant, different than the Abrahamic covenant, because this is a conditional covenant. It is going to depend on the actions of the Israelites. God is going to be faithful. In fact, even as he's laying this covenant out for them, we we see it here in the text. Look at me in verse 4. He says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So here again, in this significant episode, in this unfolding story of redemption, he says to them, hey, you know that as I'm making this promise to you, as I'm providing clarity for you, I have been faithful. And I have just demonstrated it to you. As you have spent these 400 years in captivity in in Egypt, you know how I was the one who delivered you, who delivered you out of that. And I love the verbiage that he uses here. And I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. What's the past tense here? God's been faithful. But notice there's a present tense here. There's a future tense here. He says there in verse 5, Now if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you'll be my possession out of the peoples, although the whole earth is mine. And if we were to follow, we don't, we're not going to do it, but if we were to continue to read, you see that the people respond. Moses does exactly what God tells him to do. He goes down the mountain and he says to the people, this is what God has laid out for us. And it says that the people said, we will do all that the Lord has spoken of. We will do it. We will live in such a way that it brings pleasure to God. And we will live in such a way that it is a blessing to ourselves. But what we find is that over and over again, that their mouths were writing checks 
that their lives never cashed. So today, when we consider joy found in a promise made, we find joy in knowing that God is committed to his people and God is continuing to show them the way of how to live in a way that brings him pleasure. We find joy in a promise that God had made and we realize when we look at the Old Testament and we see the track record of God's people, when we look at our own lives and the way that we live, we recognize that our ability to keep up our end of the bargain falls short over and over again. What is revealed here is that we have a joy that God has shown us how to live in this way to please him. And we do discover that in our inability to keep the law, when we look at this law, the instruction that God has given us in how to live in our moral behavior, that the law cannot be a source of joy for us. The law cannot be a source of joy. If we are looking just to the law to be a source of joy, we find over and over again we fall short. But the law, it does something for us. It serves as a mirror for us. A mirror to show us that if we're going to have joy in our life, it is not going to come from our behavior. Because we'll never measure up. But the law shows us that there must be something greater. Something greater that would allow us to bring pleasure to God. Something greater that would allow that joy to be multiplied and solidified in our life. And an angel of the Lord looks at these shepherds and he says, Today, I bring you good news of great joy. Great joy because... Although we can never keep up our end of the bargain in this covenant and to fully keep the law, what we find is that God himself is going to show up and to bring a better covenant. In fact, he's going to be the better covenant. Look with me, you'll see it on the screens. In Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6, it says, Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry, and to that degree he is the mediator, listen to what it says here, of a better covenant which has been established on better promises. What's it saying here? It's saying that when Jesus shows up, that although God had laid down all these covenants in the Old Testament, as the story of redemption is unfolding, when Jesus shows up, he comes with something better, something greater. He comes, as we see at the very end there, the Last Supper, as he says, listen, I come to you with the blood of what? The new covenant. A new covenant has been given to you. And it is in that new covenant and his coming, it makes all the difference. You see, God was faithful to deliver the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and he is faithful to deliver us as well. And it is in that delivery and our inability to keep the law, but him stepping in, that I believe secures for us a deep-rooted joy that even the darkest of nights can't touch. So there's, promise found, or there's joy found in a promise made, but hear me today, there's joy secured in a promise kept. There's joy secured in a promise kept. I, I want us to think for a moment here about that word secured. And I want you to consider just for a moment all the things in your life that you desire to secure. Right? You, you think about the locks on your Door at home, right? Why do you have those? To secure your belongings? To secure your family? Right? You think about the alarm system on your car. Why do you have that? To secure your car from someone taking it or from breaking into it and taking things out of it. You, you think about a gun safe you have in your house. You, you secure it, not just from someone coming and taking them, but if you have children in the home, you're securing that to provide safety, right? 
Think about on the internet, right? You have your username and your password, right? Why are you doing that? You're securing your information so people can't get into it. So you can put your password in. And so what does all the security do? It provides comfort, doesn't it? Unless you can't remember your passcode. Then it brings frustration. Then when you can't remember your passcode and then it says you have three more attempts, then you're pulling your hair out, aren't you? You ever had that moment where you're sitting there and, and, and you're looking at your computer and, and it says you have three more attempts and you know, like you could give me 2,000 attempts and I wouldn't get it. And then you think, why don't I write them down? Anybody with me? Let me just be real honest with you. Again, not that I'm dishonest, but full disclosure here. If companies started charging for the email that they have to send you when you click forgot password, I don't know what I would do. I would be in trouble. How many of you, let's, let's now we're going to hear full disclosure from you. How many of you have typed in, uh, uh, you, you had to change your password because you forgot it, and multiple times it said, you've already used that password. You been there with me? Yeah. Now, some of you in here are judging us right now. In fact, at our 8 o'clock service, I had a guy walk up. He said, well, Michael, I just have a little black book, and I just write all my passwords in my black book. So, okay, I'm like, get away from me, right? Just get away from me. I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. But, right, but why do we do that? It's to provide security in our life. And there are things in our life, no doubt, that we secure. But here's what you know to be true. Students, there are things in your life that you would love to secure, but you just can't. You just can't. There's things that we could give all the effort in the world, but there is no guarantee that we can secure those things from not being touched. We could have all the locks and alarm systems in the world. We can have uh, the most complicated passwords. But there are some things in life that we value that we cannot secure. Let me give you an example. Happiness. Wouldn't it be nice to live in such a way that you could secure your happiness every single day? That you knew when you woke up tomorrow morning that it was going to be nothing but happiness for you, no sorrow, no sadness, no brokenness or chaos. Boy, that would be wonderful. If day after day you just knew that for the rest of my life I'm securing happiness day after day after day. But it's not possible. Let me give you one word why I know it's not possible. Taxes. We could keep going. Politics. Traffic. Sickness. Defeat. Right? I mean, we, we could just keep going word by word by word by word by word. And what we recognize is that we can never secure a life of complete happiness. Why? Because we live in a broken, fallen world. But what about joy? Could it be true that you could secure joy in your life so that truly, no matter what life throws at you, no matter what the doctor says, no matter how devastating the news you may get or how high your taxes may be, that there could be a joy secured in your life that is not contingent on your circumstances? And I think, and you won't be surprised, that I think the answer is an absolute yes. And that's because that joy comes from somewhere greater than this world, greater than our situation and circumstances. 
want you to look with me real quick. You can turn there if you want. You don't have to. It'll be on the screens. But my favorite Christmas verse that is not found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. I've read it to you before. I've preached on it before. Such a great, theologically rich, gospel-saturated kind of reminder for us of what took place in Bethlehem. It tells us when the time came to completion, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. I love it. Your translation may say there at the beginning, it says at just the right time. Again, as God is writing this story of redemption from all the way back in Genesis through all these significant covenants and all the stories that happen to this moment at just the right time, God sends forth his son. And what does it tell us? It gives us some important markers here theologically. Number one, he was born of a woman. What does that mean? It means that he came in the flesh just like me and you. He was no different. As Jesus walked on this earth, he was fully God. But without a doubt, Paul understands he was fully man. He was born of a woman. But then look today, and this is important for the context of what we just talked about here with this Mosaic covenant. What does it say about this baby who would come? He was born under the law. It means that for him to live in such a way that would please God, it meant that it would be in keeping the law. And while we look at all of humanity outside of Jesus' track record of keeping the law, we have failed 100% of the time. When we look at Jesus, that he succeeded 100% of the time. Jesus walked this earth and never broke the law that God had given to his people. So he came and was born under the law. And why is that significant? Look with me in verse 5. It says to redeem those under the law. Meaning that in his coming and in his living and in his keeping of the law, he is going to do something what it is to redeem, to redeem those. Those who are still under the law. Those who can't keep the law. And what does that mean for us? It means today that there is joy that can be rooted in my life because the greatest need of my life is my sin problem before a holy, perfect God that the Bible says I will stand before one day and give an account for my life. And when I recognize it in what Christ's coming, being born under the law to redeem those under the law, it means here that I am no longer one who's just under the law, but it tells me that I have now been adopted by the King. I am no longer a slave to sin. I am a child. I am a son or a daughter of the king. And where at once, in my sin, and my failure to keep the law, I was at odds with God and I was under his wrath. But now in God's love for humanity and love for us and for the glory of his name, he has made a way that the greatest need in my life has been met by him. I love the way Paul says it here in Romans chapter 8, verse 3. Again, some good theology for us and understanding how Jesus, remember when he said in the Gospels, I've not come to abolish the law, but to do what? To fulfill the law, right? And Paul lays that out for us in Romans chapter 8, verse 3 and 4. He says, for what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh. Here's what he's saying. He's saying the law couldn't provide joy. The law couldn't provide a right relationship with God. Why? Because it was weakened by the flesh, because of our sin nature, because of our flesh. We can't keep it. We can't keep it. But look at what he says. God did. He goes on to say, he condemned sin in the flesh, meaning he dealt with sin. Here's how he did it. 
by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Saying he came as a man, just like me and you. He came as a man to do what? As a sin offering. There again, it's why he came. He came like us because we couldn't keep the law. So he came to pay the punishment, the penalty for our inability to keep the law. Verse 4, in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I'm telling you, that is beautiful, rich theology that changes everything. We couldn't keep the law. And our ability to keep the law, it is weakened by our sin nature. We don't have a hope. We don't have a prayer. But God in his love for you, dealt with sin once and for all in Christ coming to be that sin offering on our behalf to pay the debt that we owe. He comes and gives himself, what? So that the law might be fulfilled in him. So what difference does that make in my life? Well, number one, just looking at this passage, we see again the faithfulness of God. What I couldn't do in my flesh to keep the law, to keep the perfection that the law demands, when I couldn't keep it, God did. Once again, God being faithful. My biggest need, as I said, has been met. I am now a child of the God who created everything. To the one who judges the living and the dead, I will stand before him, not as a slave who couldn't keep the law, but as a child in love with his father. It means that my life has a clear purpose, and because of the gospel, I understand that my value and my identity is not based in what others think. It doesn't matter how good last week went. It doesn't matter how good my job's going. It means who I am is wrapped up in who he says that I am. That's a good thing, ladies and gentlemen. And because of that, there's a joy that is knowing that God has met that need in my life. And who I am and what my life is to be about has nothing to do with this world. It has everything to do with him. And so when I face the struggles of this world, when I walk in brokenness and when I walk in grief, do those things hurt? Absolutely. Do we struggle through those as we should? But there is a joy that cannot be touched. There's a joy that cannot be touched deep down that God is with me even in the darkest of moments. Because of the truth of the gospel and what Christ has accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection, on the darkest of days that should rob my joy, it doesn't. How do I know this? Because I'm reminded that God's not forsaken me, that his promises are absolutely true. I know that I can walk with joy in dark moments because even in my suffering, I know that God uses them in my life and in others' lives to be a positive impact. I mean, I'll just tell you that one of the incredible joys of being with you now for uh, in my 14th year, five of those as a student pastor and now however many of those as pastor, I'll let you do the math, that in that season, listen, I've walked with some of you through some really dark nights. Some in your home, some at your hospital, some in my office. Moments where, again, full disclosure, even as a pastor who's had a lot of theological training that I sit in front of you and I don't even know what to say. I mean, I just want to just mourn with you. I, I, I just feel so incompetent to even say anything to encourage you because of the pain and the sorrow that you're walking through. 
But in these almost 14 years, what I have seen take place is I've seen people walk through brokenness and just having to rely on the grace of God to get them through today. And day by day and month by month and year by year, God has been faithful to them and has brought healing into your life. And so now when I walk into that hospital room or when I meet with a couple in my office and they find themselves in a place of brokenness just like you were, I'm able to pick up the phone and shoot you a text message or call you on the phone and say, listen, I have this couple in my office and they are really struggling. And I know years ago you walked through this as well and and you have seen God's faithfulness and you have seen that, that even in that darkest night there can be joy. And can I tell you what an amazing gift from God it has been to be with you all these years, to see God take you from places of suffering and brokenness and now seeing how God is using that in your life to minister and to be a blessing to others. And so there's joy to be found that even when I'm walking through difficult moments in life, I know, hear this, that suffering is not wasted. It's not wasted. So my joy is not robbed that even when it is so hard, I know that God can and will use it in my life and another's life. That's why James says in James chapter 1, in fact, I had a senior adult lady that I went and saw just the other night in the hospital, fell and broke her hip. And she's laying there and she said, Michael, yesterday in my Bible reading, I read James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you walk through trials of various kinds. And here I am laying in bed with a broken hip. Why do we consider it joy? Because he says there, because it is in those trials that it's creating endurance in your life so that you may become mature. So there's joy that can be found. We understand that our joy is secure because our joy is in the promise that has been kept in God's faithfulness and sending Christ to fulfill the law's demands when we couldn't. It means that who I am and what my life is to be about, it's not wrapped up in the things of this world. Charles Spurgeon, famous preacher, I think in understanding this deep-rooted joy that can't be touched, he said this, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. Now, that's a deep statement there, and to kind of help you understand it there, he, he's saying that when I walk through those moments of chaos, when I walk through those moments of brokenness, he says, I've learned to kiss them. Not that he's celebrating them in a sense, but he's, he says, I'm understanding that it is in those difficult moments, and what are they doing? They are pushing me into relying on Christ even more. They are pushing me in to to see his faithfulness and to see his mercy and his grace to carry me through this journey of life. Listen, there is a joy that is secured because of the promise kept even in the darkest of nights. Last thing real quick I want you to see here, finally, is a joy experienced and a promise delivered. When Jesus arrived in Bethlehem, the promise had been delivered. The one that throughout all this unfolding story of the Old Testament, the Messiah that was promised to come, in that moment he arrives. The shepherds, they come and they come and they see this baby laying in a manger. As I mentioned last week, we see Mary, it says that she was pondering these things in her heart. She was treasuring them in their heart. And then we see the shepherds make their way back. And it says as they make their way back to their fields, They were glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard. 
Listen, there is a joy that experienced on a promise delivered. And I got to tell you again, just full disclosure this morning, as we were worshiping this morning and singing, King of Heaven, come down. It just took on a new tone for me. Again, in in the midst of, of what We've walked through this week as a community, and what I know some of you are walking through individually, right? There is that cry of, Jesus, would you just come down? Would you just come down, and would you make all the brokenness and sadness of this world, would you just make it go away? Is anybody with me in that? Like, King of heaven, come down, not just for a cute little baby in a manger. Jesus, I'm asking, would you come down and end all of this right now? Would you take us into glory? Would you make, as one theologian said, would you take us into that moment where everything that is sad will be untrue? You see, there was joy experienced in a promise delivered and a baby coming to a manger in humility and meekness. But there is joy that will be experienced in a promise delivered when he comes back as a reigning king of kings. And so we walk in that joy today that, listen, no matter how sorrowful and sad it is, this is not the end of the story. There is more to be written, and it ends in victory. I've loved, as a part of this series, the different videos that we've had to set up our preaching time. And to see these different individuals that have this incredible gift to to paint these amazing images. And to watch them, even though it's in a short snippet of a video, to, to see them unfold as you begin to see some lines and different colors. And then there at the end of the video, you see the final picture of what's, of what's happened. Let me be real honest with you. And I, I, again, I, I don't think you would question this. I don't have that gift. All right? I don't have an artistic, musical gift in my body, which most of you all know I'm colorblind, so I'm not real good at painting. All right? Sweet purple grass, Michael. I'm trying my best. All right? I'm not that bad, but several years ago, there was a, uh, a painter who kind of came to the forefront in our culture. Someone who was really less than uh, most people would expect for this person to garner attention for their painting ability. You know him. You don't realize you know him and who I'm maybe talking about, but his name is George W. Bush. He serves as pre- served as the president of our country. It's fascinating that one day he went from being the leader of the most powerful nation in the world to the next, a retiree. Some of you in here, you know what that's like. Some of you, you retired and you're like, I'm doing nothing for the next 15 years. Some of you, 15 minutes into retirement, you said, give me something to do, right? And you can imagine for the president and all that would be on his plate to all of a sudden go into retirement. One of the things that we see in his story is that he took up painting. And now he is, he is painting, he's published this book that has a picture of all these portraits of different veterans and I believe world leaders. And even some of his harshest critics politically have admired him for his painting ability. One night he was on a talk show, I was watching, I forgot who it was, who, who he was on the talk show with. And, and I was watching it and he was talking about this journey for him in painting. And he said this, he said, you know, he said, I, I, w- I was picking up, I was learning it, but then I, I, I hired a, a private uh, tutor to come in and to help me. 
And there was this lady that he hired, and every week she would come in. And, and, and so he was growing in his knowledge. He was growing in his experience. And obviously it is showed in the artwork that he's put out. But in this journey, he said something so significant to me. In fact, when I was watching it that night, I typed it into my phone because I did not want to forget because it's a beautiful picture for us, especially today. He said, one of the things that I've learned in this painting journey, my perspective has changed. I've come to learn, hear this, that even shadows have color. I want you to think about that phrase for a moment, that even shadows have color. You see, students, if I were to ask one of you to come up here, and I were to ask you, I had a canvas up here, and I gave you uh, a full palette of, of paint for you to choose and a brush. And I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to paint me a tree and a shadow of the tree. Now, most people, not just you guys, but most people, what would we do? We would take the brown and we would, we would paint a trunk, right? And then we would take the green and we would do the leaves, right? And then it would come time for the shadow. And what would we do for the shadow? Gray, black, right? Gray or black. And we would think about, okay, where's the sun at? What does the perspective look like? And we would, took it, and we would take that color and we would just paint a shadow. And we would go, there you go. But you see, in doing that, our perspective is wrong, isn't it? Because there's color in the shadows. George Bush and his understanding of painting and color. He began to see it. He said, as I would go out into the world, right, I was looking at things with a different perspective. Why? Because he was thinking about color. And he realized that even in the shadows, there's color to be found. Let me tell you today, because of us understanding what Christ does and being the fulfillment of the law for us, helps you today to know that even in the shadows of life, there's color to be found. And most oftentimes when we find that joy, that deep-rooted joy in the midst of the shadow, we find a crimson red tint, a reminder that God has been faithful. He's evidenced in, in the coming of Christ. And he has taken care of our greatest need, and he will carry us through our most immediate need. Let me ask you today, when you look in the shadow, do you find any color? Because with the reality of what Christ has done, there is color to be found in him. Would you bow your heads with me today? I ask a very pointed question at the beginning of our time today. I ask you, do you know this type of joy? And I just ask you again, do you know that type of joy in your life? That situation, circumstances, finances, relationships, that none of those things can ultimately touch. Maybe today you've heard clearly what God has laid out for his people. How to live in such a way to please him. And you've seen, not just from the Old Testament, you've seen in your own life, your inability to measure up to what God has expected. You recognize you've not kept your end of the bargain.
but what you couldn't do, God did. And today, right now, in the stillness of this moment, you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. You need to ask him to come into your life to forgive you of all those times that you've fallen short of what he's expected. To forgive your sin. Today, you're ready to say, Jesus, I believe that you are a king who came to rescue sinners just like me. And today, I believe that you not only died for me, but that you were buried and that you rose again, showing that you were victorious over sin and over death. And today, I'm ready to surrender my life to you, to know of this deep-rooted joy that will carry me all my days. Today, right now, in this moment, you may just need to say yes to him. Or maybe today, as you've gone into this holiday season with a week to come, you're doing it with great dread. And the shadow seems much darker than the light. And today, I just want to remind you, if you're here and you're a believer in Christ, that even if this season is one of shadows, the shadow has color. And maybe through the tears, you would hold tight to that joy that Christ has not forgotten you, that his promises are true, that he is near to the brokenhearted. He is an ever-present help in our time of need. And in that reality, in the midst of that shadow, there is just a flicker, a flicker of joy that will never go out. And in this season, you'd hold tight to it. Lord, today, we know, Jesus, you told us that in this world we would have trouble. And it's one thing to read that, Jesus, and it's one thing to know that, but God, we recognize it's a whole other thing to experience it. God, we've seen it. We've seen how that trouble, how that brokenness of this world has impacted our community this week. But God, I also am fully aware that there's a lot of hurt and brokenness in this room and those that are watching that they maybe have never even shared. But God, we're grateful that you have fulfilled the law. You have met our greatest need. Your faithfulness is evident. And that regardless, we can walk in joy. Lord, you tell us in your word that can approach you and we can receive grace and mercy in our time of need. And Lord, I pray for those today that joy just seems really hard to come by right now. God, would you give them the grace and the mercy in their time of need to allow them to hold tight to that joy that is found in you. God, thank you for your word today in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. 
I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.